Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. We have had some awesome worship today, have we not? Oh, this has been great. This has been great. We're in a series entitled Experiencing Awesome. Just started it last week as we look at the attributes of God. The subtitle is Enjoying God and Becoming, Being Transformed by His Greatness. And uh, uh, make no mistake about it, God is a great communicator. No, change that. He is the great communicator. And he loves to communicate who he is. He loves to tell us who he is so that we can worship him, not as we conceive of him, but as he really is in all of his glory and all of his majesty. He wants us to know who he is. And, and there's a lot of benefits that come from, from knowing the God who is. Number one, we enjoy him. Being in the presence of the triune God is one of the most enjoyable experiences of all. Do you believe that? I do. I love waking up in the morning after I'm awake after a couple of cups of coffee because then I get to be with he who is awesome. And he who we worship as awesome is the most enjoyable person in the universe. But one of the side events is uh, effects of, of, of being in the presence of awesome is that we are transformed. You, you cannot help but be lifted when you're in the presence of greatness. And that's what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about that more and more. Last week, we talked about the aseity of God, the self-existence of God, that God never had a beginning, that God derives his existence from himself, that God is the uncaused cause. Many of us are still trying to get our hands around that, our heads around that, our hearts around that, that God is from eternity who he is, never has a beginning, never has a, have an end. And because he is self-existent, he is omnipotent, they inevitably go together. And so today, we're going to be talking about the omnipotence of God. But before we do that, before we talk about God who is omnipotent, let's talk to God who is omnipotent. Let's pray. Our God, we do come into your presence today and humble ourselves before you. As we grasp that you are, are self-existent, but we are humbled. As we think about the fact that you are omnipotent, we are doubly humbled. We bow before you. And we would be terrified with the fact that you are self-existent and omnipotent if it weren't for you, our Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world as a baby, that we would not be terrified. Lord Jesus, you came and veiled yourself in human flesh. You, you hid your divinity. You did not use your power so much as to terrify us. Oh, but you did at times. Exude your power in such ways that people would say, who is this man? No pure man. Pure man, yes, but pure God as well. And we worship you, our Savior, for coming into this world for 
us for taking our curse, for fulfilling your law for us, for making us whole, setting us free. Holy Spirit, we come into your presence today. Holy, 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 and all-powerful. You who take the work of Christ and work it into our hearts, taking dead souls and making them come alive, giving those of us who have the inability to believe the ability to believe, and then having believed to declare us forgiven, just, adopted as daughters and sons, Holy One of God, we ask that now as we come into your presence, you would be the one to give us power. And you know everybody in this room, and you know, you know every story in this room because you are infinite. And Lord, you know that there's many here today, all of us here today, in fact, who in one way or another need your power. Some need your power desperately just to make it through today. And so we come you who are the omnipotent one, and pray that you would speak to us, mediating your power into our weak lives, that we would give you glory, that we would be sustained, that we would know who you are. To that end, Lord, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For today, we have come to see you and you only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday night, I received a text. I'd already gone to bed, received a text, and Monday morning, um, looked at the text, and it said, Forge family member in danger. Well, Forge is the ministry that I lead to men in the city. And uh, so somebody had sent me a text telling me that somebody was in trouble. That was Sunday night. I didn't open it up until Monday morning. When I found out Monday morning what it was, my heart began to tremble. And some of you may have heard about it in the news. One of our men and his family was up visiting in Indianapolis this past weekend, last weekend. He went up on Friday or Saturday, was with friends, and took his two kids, of course, and his daughter, who's 18, but, but on the scale of autism, uh, relates perhaps like an 11-year-old, but she uh, looks like an 18-year-old, beautiful young woman, and she was abducted, stolen right out from underneath their eyes. It turns out she had been interacting with somebody online before she went up there. That person had met her there, and she was abducted. The frantic cry. We got to find her. They located her cell phone within a thousand yards, but these people are smart, and they put it in such a place where they could never find her, leaving the message that she was near there somewhere, but she wasn't. So we mobilized our prayer team, as he mobilized his prayer team in his local church, and, and people prayed, people prayed, people prayed. We finally got the word late Wednesday, early Thursday, that she, through a PI, had been found and had been snatched back and was safe. Hallelujah. I, I, I want you to know it was, it was, in my mind, one of the recent examples of answered prayer, yes, but of the omnipotence of God. Because so many of these, these young women who are abducted never resurface or resurface only after 
months and months or years of abuse, danger, and many die from the drugs given to them that they would comply. So this was, this was powerful. And we begin to see in this illustration the omnipotence of God. And I attribute it nothing to nothing less than the omnipotence of God who does answer prayers. The power of God is always applicable in our lives, in every area of our lives. The omnipotence of God is never not applicable in our lives. I, I drive an F-150, so I was interested in the commercial of the latest F-150s. The 2018 F-150 does not raise the bar, it says, it, yeah, it is the bar. I like that. I must get one. Um, because they don't just raise the bar, they are the bar. God is the bar. And as we study the attributes of God, we come to the realization that as God reveals himself to us and to who he is, he is not living up to some standard that is external to him. He is the omnipotent God of the universe. Let's talk about that today. First of all, I want you to, to see as we look into God's holy word, the God of power. El Shaddai is the Hebrew. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Listen as I read from Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. Well, wait, before I read it, somebody of you are going to say, wait a minute, you're doing this series differently than you did the last series. And you would be right, because in the last series, we went through a whole book, didn't we? We went through Philippians, and we went through Philippians as we, as we looked at God's word to us. We read it, and then we explained it. We exposited it. We taught it, and we made applications. In this series, we're doing something different. We're actually doing a topical study in what might be called systematic theology. We're, we're looking systematically at, at, at the doctrine of God, of who God is. By the way, I think that most of our sermons ought to be through books of the Bible. And the reason why is because when you understand books of the Bible, then when you go through life, when you do life, you will know those books and be able to go back to them. So I think that most of what we do ought to be studied through books of the Bible. Having said that, this series is different. We're, we're doing systematic theology as we look at who God is. Systematic theology is the queen of the sciences. And we're trying to look clearly at who God is. So let's talk about the power of God. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 90 Nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, notice, first of all, how God identifies himself, how God self-identifies. I am El Shaddai. 
I am. God Almighty, God says to Abram. And, and he's very clear in this, and the I am, doesn't that remind us of last week when we were talking about the aseity of God, the self-existence of God? The I am reminds us in the present tense verb, God is who he is. God is eternal. God does not have a beginning. God derives his existence from himself. Words are, are difficult here, aren't they? It's hard to understand all this, but the reality is, is the I am El Shaddai reminds us of God's self-existence. I am is God Almighty. Of course, the, the logic it makes sense. If God is self-existent, he must be omnipotent. He must be El Shaddai. Only he who is self-existent can be God Almighty. The logic stands. Not only is it taught, but it's logical. And when God says to Abraham, he is El Shaddai, that grabs Abram's attention. God is the supreme king. He's flexing his muscles before Abraham. And because God is almighty, he tells, I love this, because God is almighty, he tells Abram, or Abram at this point, what's what? He tells Abraham what's going to happen. He doesn't say, Abram, what do you think about this? God is almighty, and he tells Abram what's going to happen. He tells Abram to walk before him in a blameless way because God is going to make a covenant with him. He's not saying, Abram, I'd like to have a relationship with you. Let's set up a contract. Let's have a relationship. No, he says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. It's a unilateral covenant, a relationship between God and Abraham. He's already established the covenant grace with him, but he continues to, 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 to flesh this out in a powerful way. And uh, he says, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, a mighty family. You can't even believe what I'm going to do. And Abraham takes the most logical step that a person can take when he comes face to face with sovereignty. What is it he does? Did you notice that? Falls on his face. Would you? Shove it too. It's often been said that if you've never trembled in the presence of God, you've never been in the presence of God. The, lo the most logical thing in the world to do when you come before a burning bush or when you come before a God who is, who was, and who is to come is you fall on your face because that's absolute power. And that's what Abram did there. And uh, God says, I'm going to make you a, a, a mighty nation. Your name is Exalted Father, but I, I'm going to call you Father of a multitude. I'm going to change your name, Abram. He didn't say, is that okay? He said, I'm doing it. It's done. I was at a conference earlier this year uh, and speaking to a group of uh, men, tons of men there, and they gave, they gave a book away to the man with the, the most kids. One guy, way over in the, other, in the corner, had eight kids eight kids. I, when I got back up to speak, I said, man, I don't know what your name is, but we're changing it. You're now Abraham. Everybody laughed, you know, but it didn't stick. And the reason it didn't stick is because who I am. I can't change his name, but God can change Abram's name. And it stuck because God is El Shaddai. God is the omnipotent one. Notice what God will do with his almighty power to Abraham. Did you notice as I read it, all the I wills in here? I love it. Out of God's omnipotence, he says, I will. 
I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant. I will give to your offspring this land. I will be their God. So the God of the Bible, the only God who is, is self-existent. Therefore, he is omnipotent and he identifies as omnipotent. And that's who he is, the entire Bible. Trust me in this. I could multiply dozens and dozens of verses. We could be here for the rest of the day. In fact, I feel like being like David Platt, who goes on missionary journeys and studies the whole Bible with people in countries where we can't even talk about. And they stay there the whole day and talk, talk through the Bible. You want to stay here the rest of the day? I didn't think so. We could do that with verses that prove the omnipotence of God. It's all through the Bible. So let me just point out one other in 2 Corinthians and show how it bridges the, the, the Testament. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. This is God's holy word. Do not, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? What is fellowship? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Those are rhetorical statements that, uh, expecting the nothing response. We are the temple of the living God, as God has said. And now what Paul does is he quotes the Old Testament with at least seven Old Testament texts that he strings together. And, and, and he strings them together in this way. Notice the I wills. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. So in this, in this, Old Test, this New Testament text, at the very end, we see that God self-identifies as again. He's quoted by Paul, no less, saying, God is God Almighty. Therefore, when it comes to us because of the gospel, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I think this pertains, uh, in the first case, to marriage. Parents, there it is. Who should your kids marry? Somebody who is a believer. As best as you can control things. And admittedly, you don't control much after a certain point. But should you train your kids to marry in the faith? Of course. Has this application about not being unequally yoked to those in business? Of course. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen businessmen and businesswomen in, in entangled alliances in business with people who have a whole set of different ethical values than they have. What light, what do light and darkness have in common? Nothing. And so, but the big idea here is not that. The big idea is who in the world has the authority to command our behavior? Why in the world should God tell us what to do? Because he is God Almighty. He is the one of whom nothing greater can be thought contemplated or followed. So because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I are sons and daughters of the most high God and we follow the most high God. And because of that, we obey, not because we have to, but because we get to out of his grace. And it's the only smart thing to do. 
Can I confess a little something here? Now, you think it's going to be, I'm not going to tell you exactly a confession of sin. But I'm going to say, whenever I've disobeyed God, I have not been rewarded for it. Have you? No. Why? Because God is omnipotent. And he says, you're my boy. Because of Jesus, you're my boy. And I'd never lead you astray. Follow me. A.W. Tozer said, sovereignty and omnipotence must go together. One cannot exist without the other. To reign, God must have power. And to reign sovereignly, he must have all power. And that is what omnipotence means, having all power. So God is the God of power, right? El Shaddai, the God of power, the omnipotence of God. Now, real quick, I want you to see how God uses his power. Because this is so important, how God uses his omnipotence. First of all, he uses his his omnipotence to create, doesn't he? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we talk about it as being creatio ex nihilo, which means God creates out of nothing. I'm not artistic. I can create nothing. I certainly can't create anything out of nothing, but God can. He uses his power to create all that is good. Here's what I want you to keep in mind as I go through this list. God uses his power to do that which is good. Did you catch that? This is so important. Because if you don't grasp that God, God's goodness and his sovereignty or his omnipotence is linked together, then you will have a false view of God and you'll be angry at God ticked off. How does God use his power for good? To create, to sustain the doctrine of providence. I love that doctrine. God not only creates all things, but he holds it all together. The laws of nature are not laws of nature. They're laws of creation that Jesus Christ, it says in the book of Colossians, holds those laws together. Gravity works because Jesus makes them work. That's how they work. He sustains us. Providence, Rhode Island, got its name from the doctrine of providence in scripture. He uses his power to teach us how to live. The law is good and holy and righteous and just and is to guide us in life. The law is a grace. All of the commands are God's grace gifts to us. Go this way, not this way. Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> That's a definition of insanity. God says, this is the road, take it. It's a grace. He, teach, he uses his power to give us truth for life. He uses his power to promise to save us. Uh, I love Isaiah, the prophets talking about the coming of the Messiah. He uses his power to promise, but he uses his power to fulfill those promises. God is the promise keeper. He uses his power in good ways. He uses his power to prove to us that he can be trusted. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, your reasonable service of worship, right? Because all of Jesus has done for us, trust. Trust me. And he can be trusted. For the will of God is that which is good and perfect. He can never go outside. He uses his power to fight evil, to bring justice. He does. For you, for me, in this life or the life to come. Are you always going to get justice in this life? Answer, no. Will you get it? You bet. He uses his power to bring justice because he's an omnipotent God. He uses his power to protect the weak. That little girl in Indianapolis this weekend. 
He uses his power to confront the proud. You've been humbled lately? I have. Isn't it great? I never thought of it that way. When you and I are humbled, who do we run to? Omnipotence. We run to our daddy, our Abba. It's a good thing. Nothing God intends to do can be thwarted. God never gets frustrated. God has no perspiration on his upper lip. God is never uptight like you and I get uptight. He's never sitting around saying, I wonder, how's this going to work out? He's self-existent, self-sufficient. He uses his power for good, which means good for you and good for his glory. Which comes first? Answer, yes. He is all about his glory and he is all about your good because he's also a God of love. Thirdly, how does, should God's people use their power? If God uses his omnipotence for good, how should we use our power? Well, let me look, look at it with you in this way to, to, to understand that we should use the power of God for good just as God uses the power of God for good. But his power should be our power, right? In other words, we shouldn't be living our life only in our own power. We weren't designed to live in our own power. We are too weak to live within our own power. You live within your own power and you will come apart. Uh, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, Paul says at the end of the letter to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. His omnipotence. Omnipotence gives birth to omnipotence. He ought, we ought to be living out of his power. We ought to use our power, and we have power. We ought to use our power for good, but our power ought to be the power of God in three areas, and this is application. When the power of God is flowing in God's people because of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the things that happens is that we worship. I love worshiping here. In fact, I, I love having everybody together in one service. I just hate that I only get to go through this worship service one time. This is great stuff. Some of you are clapping. Some of you are getting a little charismatic on us today. And uh, that's a good thing. Go ahead, do that. Yeah, don't throw Jack off. We can say praise God. Because God is worthy of praise. And when you see who he is, it's not like you shut your mouth. It's like you open your mouth. You clap your hands. You get a little emotional about it. Because that's just the way it is, right? We worship. And guys, worship is some of the best things that can happen for us. We need to worship somebody other than ourselves. When you have the power of God flowing through you. And you see the power of God in you. You worship. Secondly, you trust. When the power of God is flowing in our lives, we begin to trust him for things that, that maybe we didn't trust him for before. If God is out there in power, but not 
we might not trust him, but if he is working in us in power, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When his power is flowing in us, then we will trust. And that first and foremost comes down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you don't know him, if you're here today as a, a, a non-follower of Christ, we're, uh, we haven't come yet to him, one of the most logical things you could do is follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're following the one who took care of your sins, but also the one who has power for your life. So we invite you. We'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, but I'll tell you, we have come to trust him more and more. Uh, I love the chief of police of Maitland. He's uh, my neighbor. We've become friends. And uh, uh, I had him speak at Forge. And he's, he's a great guy. I was telling him the other day as we were talking about this that I, uh, I had spoke downtown for a fundraiser for the jail ministry. And on the way home from downtown, I got off I-4, got out on Maitland Boulevard and was going around the loop. And one of the Maitland PD guys pulled me over and gave me a ticket. I thought that was ironic. I deserved the ticket. Trust me on that. Uh, and uh, here I am coming home from speaking at the jail ministry, fundraising for them, and I get a ticket. You know, so I, saw, so I said to the chief, I said, chief, you need to fix that ticket. He looked at me and he goes, Man, when it comes to tickets, you're on your own, dude. I want you to, it's great. It's a little bitter, I want you to know. But, uh. <laughs> but when Jesus Christ saw you and me and our sin, he didn't say, you got to fix this. You're on your own. Fix it. I mean, there's no way I could fix the ticket. All I could do is pay the fine, which I did. Paid your tax base here. But God fixed it in Jesus perfectly forever to tell us that it is finished. He's not angry at us because he poured out all his anger on Jesus and he has none left for you. And as we think of communion here in just a minute, we're going to be taking of a sacrament that will remind us at the same time, convey to us the power of God in us and through the work of Christ that we have been forgiven and our identity has been radically transformed. You are daughters, you women who put your faith in Christ. You are sons, and nothing can change that. And everything flows out of identity. And nobody, see, identity cannot be earned. It can only be bestowed by a father. And you have been given the identity from the omnipotent God of the universe. There is no one greater who can identify you and define who you are. So we trust in that identity. We trust in him. We live in him. Guys, because God is omnipotent, you don't have to be. Isn't that great? Guys, I release you from omnipotence today. Gentlemen, we're not omnipotent. We talk later about that because some of us still think we are. We're not. Isn't that great? That's so cool. Because God is omnipotent, there's some things that he cannot do. His perfections keep him from lying to us, reneging on his promises, pulling away from a relationship. There's some things he cannot do, simply. He cannot go against himself. He can't pull away uh, from who he is toward us. He cannot mess up your life. And therefore, why we come before God and understand that he always uses his power for good, this takes us out of the blame game with God. I think I got this when I was young. I tend not to blame God for stuff. And, and it's not because I'm spiritual. I think my parents taught me the omnipotence of God when I was very young. But if you blame God for stuff, 
Give it up. There's no future in it. Yes, he's in charge. And he's good. And all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Move to his sovereign power for how he will heal you rather than how you can blame him. Worship, trust, lastly, as we pull it together, risk and living large. You see, when we believe that God is absolutely sovereign, we live large and we take risks. We, we, we lead our families well. One of the areas is that we not only enjoy him, but we can allow him to transform us. There are too many people that are living, too many Christians who live down here when they could be living up here. Becoming great in character. I, two books I took off my shelf. 50 People Every Christian Should Know, Learning from Spiritual Giants of the Faith, Warren Worsby. Giant Steps Devotions from these guys. Warren Worsby had a fascination with great Christian people. So should we. The power of God can help us grow into the character of Christ. God is awesome. He didn't let that fall. We risk and take and live larger and lead our families when we understand the power of God. Men, we move away from our passivity when we understand that God is omnipotent. We forgive when we understand that God is omnipotent. Uh, we throw out our idols when we understand that God is omnipotent. Why do we give so much power to these idols? Money, sex, uh, power, other things that we give, we, we, we see as powerful when they're not anywhere near as powerful as the God of the universe. We overthrow our idols. We, we resist passivity. We expect solutions. We expect answers. We expect surprises as we live our life because God is bigger. Uh, we expect opportunities. We expect God to show up. Yesterday is an illustration in, in point. I did a funeral for... Uh, my neighbor's mother. I done another funeral for his family and I married his daughter. I'm the neighborhood priest, I think. His mother, 84 years of age. Carol, her nickname was Flea, little five foot woman. I, I really didn't know her. I just called her Mrs. Hawkins whenever she drove up to see my neighbor across the street. And so I did her funeral and there were two guys that were supposed to speak, a son and uh, a family friend. And so, you know, I want you to know as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals and I know how to, I know how to lead a funeral because you get to the funeral time and people always want to talk about the person who died. And, uh, and a pastor has got to be very careful about that. You never delegate the front. So there were two people and the, the brother I talked to ahead of time and said, how, how, you know, you got to be with family. You got to be careful. Hey, how long is your message? Four minutes. Great. Fantastic. Four minutes is perfect. I talked to the next guy. I forgot to ask him. Brother gets up there, speaks in four minutes. Yes, we're going to have plenty of time. And, uh, and then I'll get to give my message because I prayed on the way over. Lord, show up, do something in your omnipotent power, do something. And I knew it was going to be through my message. And so uh, I had to get there. 
you know, the family talking, that's cool, but it's the message, my message. So this other guy gets up and starts talking, and, and I want you to know, I'm standing on the side. I never give up the front, because if you need to encroach and move them off, you can. If you're sitting down, it's much more awkward. You just stand there. Second guy starts talking and talking and talking. He's not a trained speaker, I want you to know. Tell my students, you can always tell a trained speaker. They don't know how to get into a me- an untrained speaker. They don't know how to get into a message. They don't know how to get out of a message. He was an untrained speaker. He didn't know how to get into it. It was like 10 minutes in before he got to his first point. He goes, I got two points for you. It took 10 minutes to get there. I'm going, Jesus, the rapture should take place right now. Right now. I didn't know if he was saved, but I was just, take him out of here. I'm starting to move forward. Starting to move up there. He gets into that second point. I, I, I kid you not. I asked my wife how many, how many minutes he spoke before I, in my great patience, finally edged him off the stage. And I did. After he got to second point, I went up and said, let's thank you, God, for what he just said. But I want you to know about, about 22 minutes into what he said, because he had two points about little B or flea. Two points. So I'll summarize it. Much shorter. Much, much shorter. He said, when I was a little boy, I lived across the street from Mrs. Hawkins. And one time I made fun of her son who was there. And he said that she came up to me, all five foot of her, and said, I got a bone to pick with you, young man. And she told him, don't you ever pick on my son again. But they loved him and embraced him as a part of their family. Proved to him that they loved him. And then he said, when, when I was much older, just in the military, I came by one day to see her. And I, he, he was talking to Mrs. Hawkins and he said something like, Jesus Christ, Mrs. Hawkins, did you hear what, that happened, what happened the other day? And she stopped, looked at him, walked over and said, do you know Jesus Christ? About that time, I realized that this 30-minute monologue from hell was in actuality the act of God. And so this guy who can't talk has perfectly laid the gospel out there. And he looks at these people And he says, she says to me, do you know Jesus Christ? And he said, eventually I did. These are my neighbors, Catholics, pagans, a few believers. And I realized it was a God moment. It was the illustration of omnipotence that I had been waiting for, but that was an absolute surprise. I thought it would come through my message. So I edged him off the platform and got to John 14. Scrap my message. Got to John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my father's house with many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And, and I got to Jesus. Philip, you know, Philip, just show us the father and it is enough for us, he says. He who has seen me, who has seen the father, my next door neighbors who are something like this. are hearing the gospel. First, by this guy who can't talk. 
and then by a duly authorized, ordained minister of the gospel. <laughs> I got to experience omnipotence and awesomeness. And you can too. Because the omnipotence of God leads us to expect surprises, to live expectantly, to make us come alive, if we will, if we'll look for it, if we'll expect it, all for the glory of God. You want to get caught up in a life you never planned? Trust in the God who is omnipotent and partake of him in just a moment as we come to the Lord's Supper. You take it to heart.